The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! the third men podcast this is jack white and third man records history program and my name is paul kaminsky <laughs> Ooh, with this radio. Little, yeah i put a little cronkite on the, on the end there <laughs> my name is james kaminsky yeah and like paul said we're a jack white history show and we discuss things pertaining to third man records and in that orbit and detroit music and jack white and you know sometimes we we discuss some some interesting connections to to jack white for instance today paul yeah, I'm excited about this topic, and I was also about 50-50 on whether or not we were actually doing this or whether you were going to surprise another pop quiz. Because <laughs> I'm notoriously bad <laughs> at researching for the day. 50-50, but it sounds like we are going to do this topic, <laughs> which will be a connection between the connections between Jack White and Iggy Pop. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about this. Now, there's a reason we're doing this one today, James. Yeah, we were kind of tasked with learning a thing or two about the Stooges by our friend and yours, our... Um, our guru. That's fine. 
our love guru and our yours. Our love guru and yours. Ben Blackwell. Um, love guru to the stars. Yeah. <laughs> Cheetos yes. flavored macaroni and cheese eater and rock and roll supreme powerhouse man. Benjamin Tiberius Blackwell. <laughs> yeah. He was a little, can I say, I'll just say this. In our year in review episode, which Ben joined us on, he was a little disappointed in us for not talking about the Stooges release that Third Man put out in 2020. Right. He brought it up a couple, he gave us a couple gentle openings to talk about it more. And each time and we shut we just that sort opening of closed just and opened the window in the corner that was said Paul McCartney 3. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, this does not mean we don't not like the Stooges. We love the Stooges. I mean, I was introduced to the Stooges, I guess about 10 years ago from a friend at my old job uh, named Josh Kirschenbaum, who actually works out here on uh, doing some some work on some TV shows. But anyway, so I had the Iggy and the Stooges like greatest hits. Like I had the, and like a career retrospective overview. And then a couple of years ago for my birthday, he gave me Iggy and the Stooges Raw Power, mm. which is remaster from its 1973 David Bowie mix. Yes, David Bowie, fun fun little factoid that I won't mention in the episode, but David Bowie is what saved the Stooges uh, time and time again, actually. He was such a fan uh, that he, he made it his goal to make sure that the Stooges remained you know, on, on records. Bowie was someone who was just... Absolutely instrumental in in my continued survival, uh, musically and personally, and really gave me a boost when I needed it. Yeah, I had no idea that Bowie was involved in this. Actually, that's interesting. I'm sort of just learning this now. It's crazy. It. Yeah, no, he yeah. he was such a huge fan. So I had this record, which has a, a couple great tracks on it. Like "Search and Destroy" is a great one. "Raw Power," the title track, is great. So I have a sort of a passing kind of knowledge of the Stooges. Of course, I'm, like you, very aware of Iggy Pop's seminal role as Mona's dad on Pete and Pete. (laughs) I was wondering if we would get to this. Oh, yeah. Well, I just decided to, instead of letting the door creak open, I was going to kick it in. (laughs) (laughs) This TV show called Pete and Pete, which is is a pretty damn good kids show, and I'm playing one of the dads. Excuse me, folks. It looks like the dance is nearing an end. And I wanted to send out a special message to my little pookie, Nona Mecklenburg. Maybe after she hears it, she'll give her pop one lousy dance. I thought it was really nice to be, uh, to be some, somebody's dad in Wellsville and live in a suburban house and wear a, you know, wear a cardigan and wingtips. Um, and then, yeah, he's in coffee and cigarettes. I really like that. And so, yeah, anyway, my knowledge of him is sort of passing a little bit, but I love, I want to be your dog. Like that's one of my favorite songs, 1969, one of my favorite songs. So I do have a love for him, but I don't have a, uh, a fervent knowledge. Yes. What, what was your level of knowledge of the Stooges prior to all the research you did? I had a roommate in college who turned me onto the Stooges. It was an acquired taste. I will admit because the early Stooges is very, like the Gories, it's pretty rough around the edges. And, yeah. you know, it's it's proto-punk. So it's, you know, it's interesting music. And it took me a while to kind of get it. Uh, much like it took me a little while to understand the Gories. So what, I think my in song 
was TVI is when I kind of oh, kind of yeah. clicked with me, which um, Jack covered on the yes. Boarding House Reach tour. Yeah. Yes, and that's that song. That song really made me go like, okay, I like this, and then it made me kind of yeah. work around. And I think TVI is on their um, their their debut uh, self titled album. That's what I want to be your dog was for me. That was yes. the one where I understood. Oh, that's what this is. And I want to be your dog is my was my next kind of go-to song too which i think is it's one of their biggest early hits you know it's yeah. the one that's in all the movies like i i looked up the imdb for some of this stuff and it's that song is it appears in movies and tv like crazy um they they are one of these cult bands that people love like our artists creatives they really admire what iggy pop and the stooges were doing and you see them pop up in a lot of media with and a, you know, from a lot of enthusiastic people. And I mean, I guess we're just getting right into it. But like the Stooges, they really didn't find a fan base for a long time. And they're, they're kind of their their records did really poorly in sales in the beginning. But they inspired so many people yeah. that that were fervent fans uh, and I'm ripping this off of a website. As somebody else said this, and I, I read it, and I was like, "Oh, that makes perfect sense." But like 15 years after the the Stooges began is when all of these people, like David Bowie and stuff, are like, "These guys are great, and you need to listen to them." Yeah. And so, the, like, tastemakers were were created uh, from listening to them, and and were like, "No, this is what inspired me, and you should listen to it too." And then yeah. they got a bigger a bigger following from there. That's but like cool. you said, a cult following is 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 correct. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you do um, do you want to just get into it? Yeah, let's I do, just. I, I, I do mean, have I do have one if you want it. Oh, Paul, if you got one, give it to me. <laughs> all right, James. Well, before we get into all that, I thought we'd take a saunter over to a different kind of classic rock artist <gasps> corner of ours. <gasps> James, should we should we should we chuckle on down to the kinky corner? Let's yeah. Let's park our stooge mobile and uh, and park it right in this kinky corner over here. Take, I'm gonna get out of my dick wagon. You get out of your stooge mobile. <laughs> the dick wagon, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> appeared in the Danny Croa interview. Yes. All right. Let's park in that kinky corner. I'm a seeker too. I can't help thinking somewhere in the universe there has to be something better than that. Gotta be an answer. You may not like what you find. Just getting the kinks out. All right, all right, come on, kids. Let's try the Cleopatra. James, the kinky corner is the portion of the podcast wherein we talk about the kinks. Well, much like the Stooges, I didn't know much about the kinks. I liked the kinks. But the kinks keep popping up as something being referenced in the world of Third Band Records. So we created our own pocket dimension of the third men podcast called the kinky corner where we just, we get to know the kinks just a, like a little bit better. And fortunately, a lot of our listeners are big kink heads and kinkers. One of, one of the, yeah, kinkertons, <laughs> just a couple of kinkles. <laughs> I got one for you here from fellow kinkle Luke. I got one. I got one. They're from the kink and paint department. The kink and paint department is good. Oh, I, I like, like that. that. Very Disney. Very that is good. Yeah, no, I like yeah. it. Strap on your kinky best because Luke Sinclair, or Luke Me Over Closely, listener to the show, sent us a kinky fact mm. over Instagram, which I'm very excited. I'm going to read for you. All he, right, my he is our resident Kinks fan, though. Well, you have yeah. to admit, like 
when we come, we need a kink fact. We get the kinkiest man we know, which is Luke Sinclair. So Luke Sinclair sent us over Instagram. All right, my dudes, got a random kinky corner. Mick Avery, who's the drummer for the Kinks, angles his snare away from him, just like Daru Jones. Hey, that's and pretty he, kinky. And he sent a picture of it, and I think that's very funny because I know there was a lot of chatter about Daru's angled snare following the Saturday Night Live performance last fall where uh, Jack did a tremendous job and, of course, brought Daru on to reprise his role as a resident ass kicker for that little trio. Mm -hmm. And everybody was talking, it seemed, at least in our spheres, our kinky spheres, about Daru's angled snare and yeah, lo and behold, uh, the kinks had that too. So anyway, that's a little mini kink for you, but I, I don't want to kink shame it. So anyway, that's the kinky corner. Let's get back to Stooge Town. I'm going to hop in my dick wagon and get back to Stooge Town. Okay. It's a Okay, so I'm just going to give a brief little overview here. Iggy Pop, who was the uh, organizer of the Stooges, would later kind of become like Paul McCartney in Wings. He would be Iggy Pop in the Stooges. Uh, he was born James Osterberg. He formed the band The Stooges in Ann Arbor, Michigan in 1967. It consisted of Iggy, Ron Ashton, his brother Scott Ashton, and Dave Alexander. Uh, Ron was the guitarist. Scott was the drummer and Dave Alexander was the bassist. And they, they formed this group after Iggy witnessed the uh, Doors concert at the University of Michigan. Wow. That would have been primo Doors, too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, then he, he cobbled together the band and uh, and they, they started playing some shows. And they, they kind of were getting some, some local notoriety. Uh, they were able to tour with the MC5. Yeah, another big Detroit. Yes. Powerhouse um, rock group. Who, and, and another one that was We have to learn of, about. <laughs> yeah, well, that, there's that. But another one that was sort of underappreciated at the time, maybe, and yes. picked up some esteem later on. Yes, from a lot of people who were, who were kind of inspired by them. And I um, think John Sinclair was the MC5's manager? Something like that. Yeah, anyway. But an Electra uh, Records talent scout was in Michigan to see the MC5, and the Stooges were opening, and he wound up signing the Stooges, too. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's amazing. Go them. That's like best-case scenario. Yeah. No, it's it's pretty good. So the Stooges released two albums with their original lineup that I had mentioned. So they released the Stooges you know, self-titled album and the album Funhouse, and then they released Raw Power later on with a second lineup after kind of taking a hiatus there. But they became legends for their kind of impassioned and extreme live performances. Yeah. <laughs> this is according to all music. Uh, the Stooges were infamous, not famous, infamous. <laughs> um, while they had a rabidly devoted core audience, even more people detested their shock tactics because Iggy was was known for doing some pretty extreme stuff. Again, via all music, Iggy Pop became notorious for performing smeared in blood or peanut butter and diving into the audience. Yeah, he would he would often uh, self-mutilate and cut himself. It was it, it's pre pretty extreme for Nona's dad. Wow, yeah. Mr. Oh, Mr. Oh, Mecklenburg. I, I was calling her Mona. It's Nona, you're right. Nona, yeah. So... I wonder if he picked some of that up from Morrison, because obviously Morrison wasn't doing that, but 
part of the Doors live show was just about watching Jim kind of be crazy. Like, and there was that one time where you like masturbated on stage and that's why he had to move to France, I think, is because he was wanted like for like <laughs> public ludity for either ma- actually masturbating or simulating it on stage in the South. And a couple of couple of good old boys were like, well, we can't have that. Better get him out of the country. <laughs> <laughs> that look, it's just can't a, have that. Is that? Does he have his ding dong in his hand? Ah, Jimmy. Anyway, that's a long way of saying I. I have to wonder if Morrison maybe influenced Iggy Pop a little bit in that way. It's got to be in there somewhere. I mean, the the doors are obviously in the Stooges' DNA, but like, there's, you know, I, I they're they're. Bef- they're proto-punk like i said before they're they're before punk music so this yeah. is this is extreme stuff especially for the time i can't guess you guys aren't ready for that yet it's um, a little early for that yeah so that's that's kind of nuts so the the stooges after their third album kind of disbanded and and that that third album was again because david bowie really wanted to uh, make sure the stooges you know were on were on record and and after they disbanded Bowie actually helped Iggy uh, start his solo career and was kind of a champion of Iggy Pop's music for a long time, which is really interesting because Bowie's music is so kind of drastically different in tone, but you can kind of see where he's going. Like Bowie's got some punk root in there. There's the performative aspect of it because Bowie's just, Bowie's not mutilating himself, but Mm -hmm. he's, he is using his body and... And he's shocking people with how he's doing yeah. it too, with makeup and, and right. And dressing. Yeah. So for Bowie, it was it was the glam and the gender bending and stuff like that that was the shocking thing. He wasn't cutting himself open, but it's it's in the same wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Just those wheels are going a different cars. You know. So I I I do love that they were friends. I did not know that. Yeah. At all despite owning this record here, which it says very plainly on it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think Bowie even plays on some of the Iggy Solo stuff. Like it's does he really? Yeah. Um, wow, that's wild. And and eventually they they would reform, and then Iggy Pop would would become like the the real front man. Front man. He was the front man in general, but uh, he would then put his name on it. Like I said, a, a la Paul McCartney, and it become became Iggy Pop and the Stooges. And they would perform for a little while, and and uh, they eventually kind of disbanded in the uh, late two thousands. That's quite a run. You know, uh, uh, it, they they really disbanded mostly because, you know, people were, you know, dying and, and passing away and, and they couldn't. That's like, I mean, it's not quite a disband, a disband at that point. It's really more, it's like saying like, yeah, Leonard Skinner broke up. Oh, what happened? Well, they all died. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you're not wrong. They did <laughs> technically break up. And that they're not together anymore because they are dead. Why did Stooges break? Well, they started to die. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good yeah. reason. So uh, Jack White, though, who was awakening his musical career in, in Detroit, had discovered a, the Stooges for himself after dumpster diving. Uh, Jack White was dumpster diving and found their first record, their self-titled record. And he uh, discussed it in an interview with Questlove. And um, I found the Stooges' first album on vinyl in in one of those dumpsters, <laughs> and that really changed my life. It really it, it was it was kind of uh, I went I, I recorded it. I recorded "I Want to Be Your Dog" on four track because of that, and it led me into punk rock in a bigger way. 
I have the White Stripes doing it live in 2003 in Tokyo, but I Ooh. don't have a four track. Well, let's version. let's play that here. I mean, yeah. that look, Iggy's whole thing sets up Jack's Alley. It's yeah. The, it's raucous energy, big, big energy. This alley that has so many dumpsters. Yeah. It's more like he's project. Yeah, it's music, but he's also projecting uh, persona, mm-hmm. which Jack is want to do as well. Now, in last episode, when we talked to Danny Croa, I believe Danny told us that he sold Jack the a different Stooges record. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I didn't he even... a, yeah, he had a double copy of the Stooges, I want to say third record or something like that. And Yeah, Raw Power Jack. sounds about right. Yeah. So that's funny. So he got one from a dumpster and one from Danny <laughs> Crow. <Crowa. laughs> well, it's, it's funny, like, when we were talking to Danny Crow, he, like, Crow in general kind of evokes a lot of this Stooges energy, like in the Gories or yes. the Doll Rods, this you know the the al- the bands in general kind of had a cult following for a while like the gories then blew up after a lot of people who discovered them like told like tastemakers who who were inspired by them were like no the gories are great and then the gories kind of blew up they were all like the gories and the doll rods both were known for their stage antics you know their yeah. craziness on stage again not mutilating themselves but so jack was you know became a huge stooges fan from from this when when Jack started to uh, you know make it big with the, the stripes, he started to kind of show interest in producing Iggy or doing something with the Stooges. At that time, uh, Iggy be- had an appreciation at the time for Jack White and the White Stripes after having found them around the the time of the recording of Skull Ring, which is right around like uh, two thousand two two thousand three. This is coming via NME, so take this with a grain of salt. But uh, talking about the the track Loser. On his album Skull Ring, Iggy Pop said, I wrote that after I heard White Blood Cells because I thought, my God, they're a little bit Iggy and the Stooges and a little bit Pretenders. I could do that. I decided that if they're going to rewrite me, I'll rewrite them. That is so far out. Let's hear a little (laughs) bit of that. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. But uh, he really caught the attention of the old guard real quick, huh? Yeah. It's, you know, you it's, got the Dylan thing around this time. Iggy Pop's writing songs about him. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty wild. And the, 2003 was kind of like a big year for, for Iggy and, and Jack White kind of finding each other. In 2003, you would also see them appear in Jim Jarmusch's Coffee and Cigarettes, 
together. However, um, the the vignette that Iggy appears in alongside Tom Waits was was uh, filmed in 1993 because that was a long project. But in 2003, you do see them in the same film in separate vignettes. I found some photos online. I don't know what photo shoot they are. That's the Mojo photo shoot. The Mojo photo. It looks around. His hair tells me around 2002. It is 2003. 2003, yeah. It was the Mojo issue of October 2003, I believe, in which the White Stripes, mostly Jack, interview Iggy Pop and quiz him on a whole bunch of stuff. I wasn't able to find this because you have to actually buy the issue because there's no scans of it online. (laughs) (laughs) It's really infuriating. I looked for a long time to find out what he asked of it. You would have to buy the physical issue? Yeah. You got to go on like eBay and spend like 40 bucks on it. Is it $40 really? Well, actually, yeah. I think that the cheapest physical one I found was like 30 or $40. Wow. But I might uh, quiz the collector's group and be like, hey, I'll pay you like $5 if you could scan these pages. There's nine pages. In the same issue, it's a whole Detroit spotlight issue. And they talk about the Gories. And they talk about the demolition doll rods. That's great. Yeah. There's two pages dedicated to the Gories in there. It's pretty crazy. That's awesome. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. And it really shows the kind of appetite that England and Europe was having for this kind of Detroit scene at the time because Mojo's a, a European magazine. That's what we hear, right? From all these people we have on the show, they're usually spending a lot of time in Europe. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Touring. Yeah. And Australia too, but Europe is the main thing and probably bigger than the US, it seems, sometimes. I mean, we didn't get into it a lot with Danny, but the Gories toured for a long time in, in Europe. and They broke up in Europe. Yeah. It's crazy. Anyway. The dirt bombs all the time. Yeah. Iggy actually had approached Jack because he had heard of Jack's interest in the Stooges. He had approached him about helping him with the Stooges Reformation stuff because they were reforming around that time. Iggy actually even posited having Jack on a few tracks on bass, of all things, yeah, yeah. bass guitar. Right, that's cool. And he did this because the current bassist had actually just passed, so he was looking for a way to add a bassist to it, and, and Jack White and him were in talks discussing a lot of things. But yeah, he had heard that he was interested in, that Jack was interested in producing a Stooges record, so they had a lot of interactions kind of discussing this concept of, of Iggy Pop. And Jack White collaborating on an album. So this is, in a way, kind of like a lost Stooges White Stripes crossover. I wonder why that, yeah, I wonder why that didn't materialize. Oh, I have the answer. Oh, yeah, please. Yeah. Because before you do that, I think Brendan wound up on a Stooges record, too. Didn't he tell us he wound up on a Stooges record? On a later Stooges record, you're right. So yes, uh, Iggy and Jack had a series of discussions about this very concept, but the problem was that Iggy Pop had already recorded about half of a new album with his touring band, The Trolls, by the time that these discussions were taking place. So Iggy told him that, you know, a whole album 
wouldn't be happening. He wouldn't be recording a full album with Jack. It would just be part of an album. And Jack didn't really want that. Wow. To quote Iggy, I wasn't going to tell them or call them up, hey, I'm going to work with a bigger star than you in regards to his touring his band, band, the yeah. Trolls and, and the Stooges and stuff. I wasn't going to call that. them, tell them and call them up and say, hey, I'm going to work with a bigger star than you and fuck all your work. That's an integrity move right there. Yes. He said, I can't do that to an artist. So I offered him a few tracks and Jack being Jack said, well, I don't want to do that. I want to do a whole thing. <laughs> wow. Iggy continues later on. Let's just say I felt where he was coming from. At one point, I felt I was just about ready to do it. And we were having a conversation. And the last thing he had to say was, okay, I'll call you up when I have time. I put down the phone and part of me was like, fuck you, kid. <laughs> I didn't say anything because I'm not a confrontational person. Okay. So we didn't do it at that point. So. Wow. Jack said, don't call me. I'll call you. <laughs> wow. The talking did continue, though. They did continue talking about different projects. I mean, he did. He's not lying. He had a lot going on. Yeah. Well, I think Brandon said it in an interview I found for the Goose Lake stuff. It's like Third Man Records is great because Jack White comes up with so many different ideas and 99% of them are great. <laughs> right. So it's up to them to keep up with it. So yeah. it's kind of indicative of Jack at the time. Jack was still a Detroiter who wanted to do the projects he wanted to do. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. So they continued to talk about different ways they could make a project. And during these discussions, Jack even mentioned that uh, he would like to record an album start to finish in a Let It Be style session Ooh. where they can see how the sausage was made. To quote Iggy again from the same press release kind of deal. He wanted to lock us in a house together and record the results. The idea was nobody would leave until we had an album done. I think had we agreed that very quickly cameras would have come into it in a huh. reality show sort yeah. of thing or a documentary sort of thing. Yes. Get Gary Oldman to direct that shit. That is amazing. Gary Coleman to direct that shit. Get, get both of any Gary's you got. Newman. <laughs> get any Gary's you got. Load up the Garys. That would have been really, really cool. And it would have been f really cool seeing Jack in a production role, like which we never too. get. Yeah, we, we have the Loretta get. Lynn stuff, but like just barely. We have that. We have I'm your puppet. Yeah. No, not I'm. Yeah, do we have? Well, no, we don't have video of I'm. No. Yeah, we have a bit of I'm your puppet, but uh, I guess no. I was thinking of um, Blank Generation. I guess yeah. that's the really the closest we get of him in the studio, unless I'm forgetting something, but. It would have been a fun real world road rules kind of situation. Amazing. Had they agreed to that. I mean, there's still time. Get it together, guys. <laughs> You're both still alive. The record company was not thrilled about any of this because they saw this as a gold mine because Jack White was one of the biggest music stars at the time. And the record company is really pushing for this to happen. They kind of postponed the project indefinitely, though. To quote Iggy, uh, the record company said, what are you, crazy? You're not going to play with Jack White? Blah, blah, blah. At one point, I was ready to do it, and I think he wasn't. Then much later, he was ready to do it, and we had a lunch about it in Australia. But at one point, I had a meeting with Ron and Scott, and Ron said, look, for me, that would be like all the glory of it would be about Jack White and not about me. And he made a gesture if someone was sitting on his head. And Scott said to me, yeah, the way I see it, Jack White is a pot of gold, and we don't want to be a part of his pot of gold. <laughs> wow. So some egos are getting in there, too. It's a lot of, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, the dynamic there is so weird. 
But the record company did agree with him that the selling point would be Jack's involvement and not necessarily sure. the album itself. It would be, yeah, you know, this is how they're selling it is this is a Jack White contribution. So you should buy this. I mean, yeah, that's not unusual, though. Yeah. I mean, so that was interesting. But they did, however, remain friendly afterwards. Uh, Iggy does kind of say like, yeah, we we still talked and stuff. I like that they're both being rock and roll about it. You know, they're both being kind of, they're swinging their dicks around and, but they're both still friendly. I like that about it. I like that part of the story where they're still friends. Yeah. No, they're still talking. <laughs> they're having lunch in Australia. It's, it's fine, but it's like. land down under. <laughs> and, and during all of this, you know, you do have that Mojo interview and photo session, which the photos from that Mojo magazine thing are amazing. You have Jack like holding Iggy Pop. Yeah. in his arms. Uh, so that's it, the that's the image I'm using for the title image. Oh, I, already, I already made it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And it, like it really shows the dynamic of how tall Jack White is cuz he's a very tall man. Yeah. And Iggy Pop is 5'7", so he's like an average guy, but he's like coming up to his shoulders. <laughs> Well, I also love that Meg is in the shoot. <laughs> Meg too. jumps in for a little bit uh, cuz it is the White Stripes interview Iggy yeah, Pop right. and the Stooges. So like it's technically them both, but uh Wow. Uh, pretty great stuff a lot of cool photos came from that jack white wearing the that uh, evoking um probably iggy pop's past mutilations of cutting his chest on stage oh uh, yeah he's got like, the little things on this shirt yeah, yeah there's like stitching and stuff all over that i don't know yeah. if that's the reason he did it or if that was just a fun 2000s kind of yeah. alternative look that he was going for but i don't know he's also got the black and white pants the love those the pants ele- elephant era yeah love those pants good pants yeah Good pants. Good they are, pants. There are good pants. And he has a pair of them. In the world, there are good pants. Those are some of those good pants. <laughs> Not um, like morally good. Yeah, no. But like good in the sense that they're good and wholesome. They're chaotically good. <laughs> we know that they've remained friendly for quite a while. Third Man actually even puts out re-releases a Stooges record on yellow vinyl to celebrate um, the opening of the pressing plant in Detroit. They released the self-titled along with a couple other kind of Detroit staples, including the White Stripes self-titled album. Right. All right. get that it's still there so clearly they're still kind of getting iggy's blessing on some of this stuff uh, and then you get total chaos the story of the stooges yes which is the only iggy pop slash stooges biographical content that's kind of told from iggy pop himself it was released by third man books and it's told from iggy's perspective after extensive interviews from the book's authors jeff gold and contributor joe Yoan, is it Yoan? I think it's Yoan Kugelberg. Wow, it was chosen by Rough Trade as one of the books of the year and earned rave reviews in Esquire, Mojo, Noisy, and many other publications. Yep, from I haven't read the whole thing, but it's super interesting. They Damn, made James is, pay for that one too. They did. <laughs> just they did. I some, had to get that on Apple Books. Just hey, uh, <laughs> hey, chuck a brother a PDF. 
You know what I mean? It's a portable document format. It's por- ported over here. Port port that PDF over well, that, here. That PDF is uh, is squarely on my computer now. Thank you to Apple Books. <laughs> but yeah, it's got some really interesting interviews. The, the lyric is basically uh, half me and half the character. And you know, he can't get fucked. He can't get kissed. He's obsolete. He's a teenage dinosaur. You know, there's a, uh, let's see, a lyric to it. It's as close to being one of those terrible bad Dylans as I ever got. <laughs> I was riding on a concrete slab down a river of useless flab. It was such a wonderful day. I heard a witch doctor say, I'll turn you into a toadstool, but I'm looking for the joke with a microscope. A muscle twitch and auto swerves. You want to speak, you lose your nerve. Infinity throws you a curve, dumps you in shit you don't deserve. And life flows by you in a blur, leaves you murmuring a dirty word. Obviously, you have Iggy talking about the Stooges and going over in, in excruciating detail about like the band. He's not holding a lot back. It's a real insightful look at the band's career throughout its history and throughout its its reformations and, and through Iggy's solo stuff. And it goes through the heavy drug use and crushing defeats that the band had. It's very raw. It's a very raw story. Yeah. Because the Stooges, you know, it's as much tragedy as it is beautiful art that they're creating. But, man, I don't know if anybody's ever called a punk rock thing like the Stooges beautiful art before and i feel like i'm sniffing my own farts when i'm saying that um but yeah it's breaking ground james yeah no i'm breaking new new ground um but yeah it's very cool but it does have like uh snippets of interviews from people like joan jett you also have ben blackwell doing a thing they're talking about like stooges influence on them ben blackwell's chapter is very long hold on i gotta find that chapter it's very funny like the title chapter is very it's very long um that's all. That must have been a thrill for him to do that because he's such a huge fan. Okay, so Ben's chapter is called, it's only four pages long, but it's called How Michigan is the Fifth Member of the Stooges or A Cultural Cycling Through the 300 Years of Bullshit Historical Anecdotes and Arbitrary Facts to Argue that Geographic Demarcation Can Be Personified as the Embodiment of a Musician by Ben Blackwell. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very funny chapter title. You also have... Uh, you know, John Jett talking about the Stooges, Dave Grohl, Josh Homme. Is that the closest we've ever come to Dave Grohl, Jack White collaboration? Sort of. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm they're friends. They have, didn't the Foo Fighters perform it? I don't know. Probably not. I don't know. Who can say? You also have a one page thing from Jack White about the album Funhouse. Jack is a huge fan of that particular album, Funhouse. So he writes about Funhouse quite a bit there. And he even does the liner notes for the release of Funhouse, the re-release of it. Wow. Which is pretty cool. So he uh, he contributed a quote to the liner notes of the reissue of the Stooges album Funhouse, which he dubbed, by proxy, the definitive rock album of America. So that's pretty wow. cool. Big statement coming from that guy. Anyway, that brings us to Goose Lake which is the Third Man Records release of The Stooges, live at Goose Lake, August 8th, 1970. Paul, I don't know if you've heard of this. I know Ben has wanted us to hear of this, and we didn't want to hear it. Yeah, well, apparently it's this big acclaimed thing, and we were just a couple of dinguses for not 
talking about it much, but yeah. It is. Goose Lake was the biggest rock festival in Michigan history. It was like the Woodstock of the 70s. Like it was huge. It was a huge music festival in Michigan. And the Stooges were one of the headlining acts. You also had some like early Bob Seger playing at it. You had some interesting acts going on there. But uh, a direct soundboard recording of their seven song set of the prime original lineup of the Stooges was released by Third Man. hiatus in 1970 from the original lineup and then that was that was the first two albums was the the original lineup and in 1970 when this goose lake show happened soon afterwards they would break up and that lineup would change so this is them at their prime tail end of the original wow it said that uh, the bassist dave alexander left the band shortly after this because of his performance on stage during this show uh, via Detroit Free Press, uh, the story as recounted through the decades in countless articles and books about the Stooges is that Alexander froze on stage, unable or unwilling to play his instrument. Now, you can hear in this record, he does play. It's a little in and out, but he is there. But yeah, it's, I mean, the band was doped up on a lot of horse tranquilizers. <laughs> So it's unsurprising that I'm surprised that any of them were able to play yeah. not sleeping there on the stage. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've been, I feel like artists performing under the influence has become sort of a light <laughs> subplot of this yeah. season where intrigue. Yeah. How are you going to take tabs of acid and then get in front of thousands of people? I mean, that's just, that's just, when guitar strings literally make your fingers bleed and you're high on acid, I'm sure you think they're literal snakes <laughs> it's, are yeah. biting your fingers. I don't. It just sounds like something that would damage you psychologically instantly and then f- forever. Seeing a crowd <laughs> of people shouting at you. Yeah. I yeah, think on, yeah. when you're high on psychedelics. Yeah, that sounds yeah. awful. I mean, I, we don't know that they were on the psychedelics here. You mentioned horse tranquilizers. Yes. So no, there was definitely. Nastiness running around. I mean, because this is 1970, so we're talking the heights of rock and roll, heroin, cocaine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lord knows what they were ingesting or sniffing or whatever. But yeah, yeah, wow. a lot, a lot was going around. This was like a juggalo festival of the day. You know, what I find kind of cute is that Paul went through a coke phase, <laughs> and I find it sort of cute because it's like he would have been so much more productive and I know that's why he wanted like he liked cocaine he was not a fan of the drug but he liked the work he was getting done. it just made him so alert <laughs> he thought he could take on two different women as his girlfriend at the yeah. time because of it. it's fine hey guys I wrote recorded a couple a couple albums this weekend <laughs> I love this shit we're going to put it away for now, Paul. You can release it when we're yeah. done. Somebody get this time. guy a joint ASAP. Let's calm this guy down. Anyway, 
Did George ever do? I feel like George probably took it, but he probably didn't George like it. George was a big Coke guy. For was the- he really? Yeah, so he was doing a lot of coke. Oh, I guess during the racetracks when he was racing. <laughs> I don't think that was it's going the real fast. No, during the Dark Horse era, when, like when he was bottoming out when Patty left him, like mm-hmm. that was a lot of cocaine. And they, they, they were there's some stories of like how you knew, like there was two Georges. There was like a Coke George, and like you didn't necessarily want to be around Coke George. Um, but yeah so I mean but so look how any of these rock stars survived this era I don't know not all of them did though we're just talking about Jimmy Jimmy was gone not too long after this Goose Lake show and Dave Alexander the bassist also gone not too long after this show partly in due to some liver problems oh really wow I didn't know that but yeah the recordings of this Goose Lake show were thought to be lost up until very recently, Ben Blackwell said that when it was discovered in a family's home, the Rogers Mansion in Wyoming, Michigan, uh, they were selling their house. The Rogers family was selling their house uh, and had to get rid of the huge buildup of stuff, like a hundred years worth of buildup of junk in their home from throughout the years. And Jim's son, Jim Cassily, the guy that did the actual recording of this, his son found this box with different recordings on it from his father that they kind of been schlepping from house to house to house, kind of like carry a bunch of junk with us from house to house. And he didn't really know what it was. It was just kind of a bunch of music. And he was just like, well, it's probably nothing because why would we have anything interesting? Like this is probably already out there or whatever. Yeah. So they, he found this box from his father after his father had passed, obviously. In the box was a bunch of tapes and one of the stacks of tapes was labeled Goose Lake. And with the help of some friends, they realized that not only was this not released anywhere it was pretty important to the stooges history and so his friend happened to have some third man connections and they took it over to third man records and like showed it to them and they're like we we think this is something you'd be interested in wow and uh it kind of just fell into their laps like that so this this recording that really nobody knew existed was found in this mansion and just kind of delivered to third man like do do that do make this <laughs> yeah yeah well um, blackwell must have must have been like christmas yeah because this was a like i said a, an infamous show or a famous show like it was just it was crystallized in stooges history and so you could find some recordings of it from fans and stuff but it was never good yeah let's welcome the stooges Joshua Rogers, the guy whose father recorded this and and sent it to Third Man, he said, I didn't really expect there to be anything usable on any of them. I kept low expectations through the whole process. He said to himself, do I really want to waste Third Man Records time with this pile of stuff? But Ben Blackwell said when he received it, he said, that was amazing. That was a moment where I was like, oh, this is what you work really hard for and you grind it out. You kind of pause and realize you've inserted yourself, not out of a sense of ego, 
into the story of something that's really significant that you hold in your heart. And he, Glenn Blackwell said this via an in interview with The Mixdown. The guy who recorded it, as I mentioned, was named Jim Cassily. He was a veteran audio engineer, but he wasn't registered to be part of the crew or the festival staff at all. So there's really no known reason as to why he was even recording this. Wow. And he died in 2005, <laughs> so we'll probably never know the real reason why he recorded the show. Well, if it came from a soundboard, I mean, were they recording other acts at the Goose Lake Festival? Not entirely. The Stooges Act was recorded in its entirety, but you'll have spotty other acts in there too. Huh. But specifically, like the Stooges Act was recorded in its entirety. Maybe he was just a fan. Well, his son has some ideas. His son, Joshua Rogers, said he has a theory why his dad was recording the soundboard that weekend. Jim Cassidy was a close friend of David Teagarden and Skip Van Winkle, musicians who had worked with Bob Seger and were emceeing the Goose Lake Festival. So Joshua says that they would ask dad to record it for them makes perfect sense. Hmm. I don't know if it would have been in any official capacity, or maybe dad horned in and said, hey, I'll bring my gear and record it. He could have just been a fan. He was definitely connected into the industry, yeah. but he was hooked up to the soundboard. This is a direct soundboard recording. Yeah, yeah. So That's great. Wow. Was it multi-track and everything? No, that's oh. the problem because <laughs> it had to be remastered by third man staple Vance Powell. You're in good hands. Vance. You're always in good hands with Vance. Yeah. Yeah. Vance Powell. Vance <laughs> restoration. Ben talks about Vance and him remixing this. Ben says via the mix down again, I sat with Vance for a couple of hours in his studio. It's not like mixing where you can turn up the bass or lower the vocals. You only have so much you can really manipulate. So what Vance did was basically really intense, detailed EQ work where he was clicking different EQs to raise and lower. In an individual song, there may be hundreds of different choices of those. Wow. Blackwell says via the Detroit Free Press in another interview, the Stooges are probably in line with the Beatles, Rolling Stones, and Velvet Underground, where fans would listen to just about the worst quality of recording because they're yeah. so fanatical. So for these fans to have waded through lots of subpar quasi-illegal releases over the years, it would be nice to give them something that's quality and official. So they really worked hard to make this yeah. sound as good as it could because it was that's not awesome. multi-track. It was They had to really bake this up nice and <laughs> make it really good it'd be like if someone found a soundboard of candlestick park like mm -hmm. that would be invaluable like yeah. even if it was a single track and all that stuff it's history and it's yeah. it's history you can't ever get back so like i mean not that you can get back any history but like it's it's yeah it's an important moment we're going back to the future. Oh, I got a little Italian on that. <laughs> Italian. Listen to money. I made you spaghetti. It's from the noodles of the past, Marty. I'm Italian dog. <laughs> I want to do a Marty voice, but I feel like this is just going to, like, I feel like Rick What's and What's the matter, you? Here's what I love about this. I, what I was about to say is I feel like Rick and Morty has <laughs> devalued uh, Doc and Marty it impersonations. Has. But what you're doing is, is so drastically oh. different. You're yeah. making it, you're inventing an Italian American <laughs> stereotype to be, to be a, a, a doc character. I roll my meatball with my nose at you, Marty.
The biggest concern Blackwell had when he had received this, though, was getting Iggy's kind of blessing to release this because it would be, you know, a, a new Stooges thing and, and they had to get the they had yeah. to get Iggy involved. And Iggy was concerned at first when he was approached about it because he, you know, remembering the stories and, and moments of the Goose Lake show, for instance, the Dave Alexander bit, all of the awful drug use. And he didn't think that it would be a very good show to listen to. He was like, we probably sounded terrible. Yeah. But Blackwell recalled that Iggy's reaction to hearing it was, wow, that's a lot better than I remembered. Uh, that's via the Detroit Free Press. And oh, that's good. With Blackwell. And then regarding Dave Alexander's performance on stage there, Kathleen Ashton, sister of Ron and Scott Ashton, who were in the band, the Stooges at the time, the drummer and guitarist. She said, this album definitely redeems Dave's reputation as ruining this show. The myth is now totally dispelled uh, yeah. because you can't hear him on there. And he's not, you know, he's probably high out of his mind, but he's not. Yeah, he's know, not not playing. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like the Beatles think back on Let It Be. I don't mean to keep bringing up Beatles, but no, like they fine. think back as uh, as that as a dingy, dark, yeah. like, God damn it, this is a dark fucking period um, <laughs> uh, thing. But when you listen to the audio, it really doesn't sound that way on uh, all the time. And so, yeah, memory plays a role in that and stuff. For so, sure. Yeah. yeah. I wonder, yeah. though, if they did a test track to send to Iggy to say, like, here's what this will sound like or if they just went all in cards in put all the time in with the risk that iggy would say no knowing ben they had the resources to be able to do a little bit yeah to to kind of make it sound good because ben wouldn't want to let this slip through his fingers yeah Uh, maybe he would have just done it for fun right ben ben is such a fan that he would make sure that third man was able right. to do this with Iggy's blessing. Had so. we brought this up in the episode, we could have asked him these questions. But we, we could have, <laughs> but we didn't. And Paul, that brings me to the end of this episode. That's Third Man and the Stooges. Well, there's a lot of connections there. That was a lot of fun. And I'm sure I missed some. If you, if I did, please send some emails our way. Yeah. Well, so for the end of this episode, for our third person segment, we're going to do something a little bit different. We have something of a soft crossover with the wonderful podcast let me introduce you mm-hmm. our friend of the show katie hubert who you might remember from trash tongue television volume four or something like that the last time we did one of those mm-hmm. has started a podcast since recording that episode with us and we reviewed with her and her two co-hosts the movie walk hard the dewey cox story starring John C. Riley, and then we detail a bit of the friendship between Jack White and John C. Riley, kind of similar to how you did with Iggy Pop here. So that's the loose connective tissue I'm going for, yeah. for as to why this is in this episode. No, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to play you a clip of it. We're going to play you a bit. We're going to take this clip, smear it in peanut butter, and throw it out into the audience. Yeah, and if you'd like to hear the rest, you can go check out Let Me Introduce You. It's a wonderful podcast. I very much enjoy it. It was lovely hanging out with everybody there, and we're going to learn a little bit about Jack White's connections with John C. Riley. I love it. I love it so much. We're learning about the kinks, we're learning about the stooges, and we're learning about Mr. John C. Riley. Yeah. So enjoy. Enjoy. Rocky Road 
struggle every day my whole life through See my share of the worst that this world can give Dang Elvis Presley, you didn't have to rile him up like that. <laughs> what now? No, excuse me, what? I'm just saying, we gotta follow that. And... Listen to this right now. There's two things you need to know. Uh -huh. I'm the king, and number two is... Look out, man, look at that, they're coming at you, you see that? It's called karate, man, and only two kinds of people know it. The Chinese and the king. And one of them is me. You're the king. So now, come on, man. Come on, sit around there now. Come around, sit around. Look out, man. Okay, there's some long game, sir, man. Well, thanks, Elvis. <laughs> well, I'm on, man. Come on, let's go. Come on, let me introduce you. Let me introduce you. So welcome everybody to Let Me Introduce You. We are a podcast where three friends who met in film school almost 20 years ago, we have a bunch in common, except of course, the movies that we watch and enjoy and like. So in the true spirit of friendship, each week we introduce a movie that at least one of us has not seen. We'll break it down, talk about why that movie is important to us, why we like it, why we chose to talk about it. And it's all within a specific theme. So before I get into the theme, let me introduce the most wonderful co-hosts and myself. My name is Katie. Hi. My name is Graham. Hello. <laughs> so formal. I love it. Hi, I'm Ashley, and I consider Katie and Graham best friends. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I can just be friends to you. Oh, yeah. I, yes. yes. Microflex. Microflex. Yeah. Mm. I never say, I always forget the best friends part. Yeah. I mean, it's because we're best friends in your heart, and you don't need yeah. to demonstrate it's, it's, it. It's, it's just natural. It's just assumed. Mm. I know. I know you talk about other best friends, but I choose to ignore that they exist. So yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so this week our theme is let's get musical. Musical. Uh, musical. Musical. <laughs> <laughs> we're starting a brand new theme and we're starting off with a bang because we have a special treat for you guys. We are very pleased to bring some special guests into <gasps> this theme to launch it off. And what better special guests? than a podcast focused all about music, specifically the music of Mr. Jack White. We are talking about the hosts of the Third Man podcast, the Brothers Kaminsky, Paul and James. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, guys. Hi. Hello. How's it, how's it going? Wow, your name sounds like a novel, the Brothers Kaminsky. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did write a lot of children's stories involving a lot of gore in Germany in the 1800s. Oh, wow, well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so what are, we, what are we talking about today then? Oh, yeah, God, we're talking about <laughs> 2007's uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, which stars uh, John C. Riley mainly and uh, Pam as not Pam. And uh, Jenna Fisher, sorry. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this is a... So I had only seen this a handful of times, but it's a rockumentary spoof that I think 
bombed unless that's spoiling something somebody's going to say later. <laughs> yeah, Graham, yeah, would you please give us the box office? Yeah, so this film opened December 21st, 2007. It opened the same weekend as National Treasure, Book of Secrets, Charlie Wilson's War, Sweeney Todd, and P.S. I Love You, which I'm sure Katie has seen and adored because it's a romantic comedy. Yeah, totally. It. You're right. <laughs> it bombed. It made... Uh, $4.2 million its opening weekend and was out of theaters in five weeks Ooh. and it only wow. made $18.3 million. It's a pretty narrow window of, I don't know, it's a narrow, I think it's funny, but it is very, it's funny to like a, 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 a very interesting and small cross section of different types of people, I think. Yeah, it was also marketed really, like, it was hard to market this movie to people because a lot of folks didn't realize it would be a comedy. A lot of people thought it would be an actual biopic. And it, I don't know. Well, Walk the Line came out only two years before. So I'm sure people were like, yes, please more. And not realizing, oh, this is a parody. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's a weird time for a film like a parody film to open at the box office. Like people aren't really rushing to see that. They're probably going to see as the, that that time period, seeing National yeah. you know, Treasure, Book of Secrets, and I Am Legend and all that. Comedies yeah. are also notoriously uh, like bad um, sellers, at least in the modern markets. You know, it's kind of hard to, to get people to go see them. Would you guys please do the honor of giving us a synopsis of Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story? <laughs> well, if you don't mind, Katie, I would like to just say at the top here, the thing that surprised me the most when watching this again was paying attention to who wrote it and who directed it. Because, yeah, it's a Judd Apatow movie. I had right. no idea. I no idea. And directed and co-written by Jake Kasdan, son of the Empire Strikes Backman. Uh, the guy that, that co-wrote Empire Strikes Back and Return yeah, of the Lawrence Jedi Kasdan. and some of those Disney yeah. ones. So I was like, oh, my God, they did this? Wild. But <laughs> anyway, as you all mentioned, this was a almost a direct spoof of Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash biopic that was just, I don't know, that was hugely popular a couple of years prior. That was Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon. I yeah. want to say she got the Oscar for it. She, she went. Oscar. She got the Oscar. Yeah, and it's wow. yeah. It, it was it was part of like this wave of Johnny Cash interest because it was right after he died and Hurt had just that was a big single from Johnny. He was covering Nine Inch Nails and stuff, and so there was a bit of capitalizing on that wave of interest in Johnny Cash at that time. So anyway, <laughs> what does Judd Apatow and the son of the Ewok guy do? <laughs> They do a, they do almost direct parody movie and just decide to make fun of the history of rock and roll. So what you do is you see the character of Dewey Cox who slices his brother in half with a machete and halves him at the beginning of the film and, and has internalized that. And that's his like big character arc and struggle. And he winds up getting into a machete fight with his dad later in the movie. And smell blindness. Don't forget the smell blindness. Smell blindness. Yeah, smell blindness. <laughs> that is smell blindness. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but it tracks... Dewey's journey, much in the same way of Johnny Cash's journey, and goes through all the rock and roll tropes. So you have the drugs, which is, by the way, probably the best part of the film, because Tim Meadows, the 
in, Tim Meadows? The incomparable Tim All Meadows. Star. You yes. don't want any part of this shit, do we? And the, when he's describing the marijuana, you know, and, and he's like, well, is it addictive? He's like, no, it's one of the few that isn't. She's like, well, what does it make you do? It just makes you feel great. Well, that sounds expensive. <laughs> it's the cheapest drug there is. It's really, really funny. So you get the drug aspect and you get him tripping off. And then they, they take some liberties with the Johnny Cash story and they have him sort of deviate and go to India with the Maharishi and the Beatles. And you have him become an acid casualty a la Brian Wilson. And I think at one point they make reference to him actually like associating with Charles Manson, which is really mm-hmm. funny. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. At the party at his house. At the party at his house, yeah. <laughs> it's and then, in the 60s, you know. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Charlie was around. I mean, there's not really a plot to speak of. It just follows his fake trajectory and uh, Mm -hmm. rallying around this song, this fake song, I guess, written for the film called Walk Hard, uh, which is, again, directly parodying Walk the Line. And, yeah, he winds up learning the lesson that family is more important than drugs and giraffes and stuff. And that's pretty much the end of the movie. Yes. (laughs) was that drugs good? and giraffes? Was that, that was good. I mean, <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. All right. Good. You did it. I was winging it. I mean, the there is the whole mix up with with Jenna Fisher and you know his wife and him kind of choosing between those love interests and whatnot. But no, I mean the chimp plays more of an important role than that. I think so. It's 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 good. I I mean it's a it's a definitely a comedy for sake of jokes and not plot. Which I'm okay with. I'm 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 a sucker for those types of things. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. I do love how they do deal with historic characters and just saying their names over and over and over again. <laughs> the Beatles once. Hey, buddy Holly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, big bopper. I, I just love John Lennon turning to Paul McCartney and going, "Hey, Paul McCartney, shut yeah. up." Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very, very funny. Paul McCartney played by Jack Black, oh, so who like like they make the other three look kind of similar to the Beatles, and then it's just like Jack Black looking like Jack Black. Yeah. Paul, well, Paul Rudd plays John Lennon and does an exceptionally good job yeah. at it. By the oh, way, oh yeah, he overdoes the voice, which I, I think is perfect because he. He's yeah. definitely making fun of it, but also doing it so good that it's wrong. So anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I like Justin Long's George Harrison a lot. I was like, that it seems like perfect. Yeah, the, his, the first line out of his mouth, I think, was something about him mumbling, just trying to get songs on the albums. And I just thought that was the funniest thing. It was, just, it was clearly written by, you know, rock and roll fans. I think almost exclusively for rock and roll fans, just like, they're not in jokes because it's pop culture. Like people know this stuff, but it is like for, for music nerds and things like these are the, those are, there are a lot of targeted jokes. Let's let's say narrow polls, but yeah. I do kind of want to ask since this was Ashley and Graham's first time, Graham, why don't we start with you? What did you think of the movie? I'm a huge John C. Riley fan, and this I, I love him in so much. My first experience with him was in Boogie Nights, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Obviously. So I was always curious about this this one. He was nominated for a Golden Globe for it. I mean the Golden Globes are trash, but I think with any parody film, they are always like fifteen minutes too long, I think. And they kind of run out of steam towards the end. My interest was was held was held pretty much throughout it because of, of some of the jokes that we mentioned, like the Tim Meadows drug jokes. Yeah. And I loved the through line with how many kids he ends up having <laughs> with, especially with Kristen Wiig. Cause yeah. they all end up just like being like, she keeps having babies that just like, don't age. <laughs> <laughs> so it was fun to see all these different cameos as well. 
I thought I thought some of the songs slapped. I really enjoyed yeah. them. But yeah, I, I think yeah, this is a very this is a movie made for kind of as we mentioned like a very small group of people, and it makes sense to me why it, it didn't do well financially. But yeah, I think it was pretty solid. Ashley, I am a person who this film was not made for. <laughs> So I'm like watching it and I'm not thinking about how it's like, you know, mockumentary, parody, whatever else. And I'm just like, is this, are they, is this serious? No. And I was like, this, <laughs> there are points where I was like, this feels like a lot of racism. And then later I was like, oh, that's the point. You're like trying yes. to point it out. You know, like I was taking the wrong entry point, which what did that also happen with? Well, when we watched Dead Alive, like I took it too seriously and I wasn't just like oh it's gonna be absurd let's just have some fun but yeah I was just like oh god some of these jokes they're just so they're so heavy-handed and instead of just letting go I was like I don't know but the music was actually pretty good I enjoyed that and then I just as I kept watching it I like appreciate I started to appreciate or acknowledge the absurdity because some of it was just ridiculous but like yeah john c Riley is just great like that man can do almost no wrong i think the opening 10 minutes are are probably the best part of the movie with (laughs) yeah with him hacking his brother, his, getting, the, his brother. His brother. Nothing, <laughs> nothing possibly bad could happen today. Yeah, terrible I, could happen you know, today. And then you know, I got to shout out Margaret Martindale, who I love, and she has a fantastic line when they fast forward a couple years, and John C. Riley is full grown, but she's like, "There's my beautiful fourteen year old boy." <laughs> yeah. That was one of my favorite things. I do appreciate how yeah. it was a man in his forties pretending yeah. to be all these ages, and then he's like, <laughs> "Like a year, he's like, I am. I think I am doing well for a fifteen year old with a wife and a child." And then Kristen Wiig's like, "I'm a twelve year old girlfriend." So, so Ashley, to your point, I thought some of the jokes aged better than others. Uh, most of them, I thought, were like, especially like the Jewish jokes. It's clear that that was like a wink and a nod, and like pointing out the absurdity of saying that you know jewish people run hollywood and stuff but then there's some that's like like the little people jokes where i was just like yeah yeah that didn't age well did it that's just kind of mean isn't it right there yeah i had to remind myself i was like wait when was this made so like what was the context in which it was made and like what else is it playing off of because trying to place it in a 2021 context you're just like ah there's a lot's happened in the last 14 years, but, and like, yeah, like Apatow was just, I mean, that was the, to me, like such a huge crest, you know, like yes. knocked up had come out in 2007 and yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, that was the one year I lived in LA, you know? And so trying to think about like what was going on at the time, but it's just, so, you know, you know, it's funny about Apatow. Cause I, again, didn't realize he directed this either. I've seen, John C. Riley and Ed Helms, who was also in this movie, play bluegrass at the Largo in Los Angeles. And I don't remember like the headliner of who I was there to see because they play in this they played in this side room bar that's like on the, you know, in the back while you're waiting to go into the show. And I wanna say it was like one of the Judd Apatow like comedy group special things. And yeah, John C. Riley was there playing bluegrass with Ed Helms and it was awesome. They did an amazing, amazing job. So yeah. I was like, oh, that might be kind of fun if if that's the right memory. But That's how you know it's L.A. that they weren't headlining. Like if that had come <laughs> to Minneapolis, they would be the headliners. No. They're like literally playing like on the street. Like, hey, you guys want to listen to us? <laughs> we're, just, we're just, you know, 
We were it, talking a little last night, Katie, and you, you had mentioned that. I actually saw him coming into our office building one day. Like Microflex, right? No big deal. <laughs> You've got to flex it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, what struck me as funny is, and we'll talk about the singles in a minute, but he has this hat. Like outside of movies, John C. Riley is always wearing this hat. I can't explain the hat. I don't know where it came from. I don't know who gave it to him. I don't know why he thinks he looks good in it, but he wears it everywhere. What kind of hat is it? It's like a white sort of brim thing. It's sort of like one of those barbershop quartet hats a little. You know what I'm talking (laughs) about? Like a boater? He looks like he's about to buy like a paper in the 1920s from a newsboy on the street. Oh. You know? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, he was wearing the fucking hat. I was like, oh, my God. And the person who I was with, he was like, what? I'm like, he's wearing the hat. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no one understands me. <laughs> but, um, Paul yeah. then proceeded to quote Jaws a bunch of times. That hat, Harry. And, and no one understood it. <laughs> anyway, he has a hat is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> That was your yeah. story. That was <laughs> the whole story. Hat. It was <laughs> a great story. That's why it's a microflex. <laughs> he said it was a microflex, I James. <laughs> I have a hat. He's never talked about that. <laughs> Sibling, don't worry. Anyway. <laughs> well, anyway. Okay, so John C. Riley has a connection to Jack White. So maybe, James and Paul, you guys can talk a little bit about maybe about the how Jack got involved, his connections to John C. Riley, because I know they've made some records together. Yeah, well, it's funny. The connection between Jack and John C. Riley is one of those snake eats its own tail things because it's all... And Ouroboros. You know, yes, so because it's all interconnected. And actually, John C. Riley's sort of music career, him putting out records is a result of this movie, which is a result of... Anyway, so what happened was John C. Riley was in that movie Chicago based on the musical. And he had that very memorable Mr. Cellophane scene. And so Jack was dating Renee Zellweger, who he met on the set of Cold Mountain. Renee Zellweger, also in Chicago. So Jack performed live with the White Stripes, Mr. Cellophane. And John C. Riley got word of this, and that got them sort of talking. And they became friends a bit. And a couple years go by, and this movie's getting developed, and John C. Riley suggests Jack be involved in the film because they had been talking a bit through that Mr. Cellophane Chicago Renee Zellweger connection thing which I thought was really funny because I didn't actually know how they met I just knew that they were connected later on so that was something I learned in the research here but I had no idea that he dated Renee Zellweger for like a while yeah, yeah, yeah and it they was, it was, God. yeah it put Jack on the cover of like TMZ and People magazine yeah. for a while. I'm when sure. He I'm sure he loved that. <laughs> well, he looked like he was so like sh- like white as a sheet compared to everybody else he was around. He was just it was a weird thing. He looked. He made it seem like he was gothic, even though he's not a like a goth. But his yeah. his darker appearance than uh, the Hollywood superstars he was hanging around wow. it was just it was very funny but next to renee zellweger he looked tan you know so they're very they're oh, walking yeah. around just a couple of ghosts just yes. walking together and he's also like nine thousand feet tall too and she's a she's sort of short so that was another inch. anyway i digress so john c Riley calls him up casts him in the film so john c Riley actually cast jack in the movie again from that friendship and this was cool so i was watching the dvd commentary and kasdan is talking and he says because i because i watched this on dvd like a 
fucking me. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that's like, that's next level nerd. We really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, oh, thanks. that's a good niche flex. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so the DVD commentary, Kazan says, Jack White came and was just very cool and easy to work with. You expect to be intimidated because he's one of the coolest people in the world. John C. Riley interrupts. It's also his real hair. Jack Kasdan <laughs> then continues, or Jake then continues. And I remember when Jack showed up thinking we suddenly had credibility that we did not have. It was good. He was great in the scene and he could not have been looser. He could not have been funnier. Uh, John C. Riley interjects again. This country gibberish thing was so insane. Most trained actors would balk at doing an entire scene in gibberish. But Jack was like, yeah, okay, let's do it. <laughs> and then uh, Jake continues afterwards, when you think about the White Stripes music that I love, then you think, yeah, of course I hear a brain in those songs that could be this insane improvising for seven hours. So that's funny because, yeah, Jack is kind of a decent actor. Kind of can sell it, you know. I, I wanted more of him in this. I thought he was great. Yeah. Especially because he looks nothing like Elvis. Yeah. But he yeah. looked, no. I believed yeah. it. I believed yeah. it. So, yeah. So he came on. He did this gibberish. And it's funny. He has talked about acting before in the past and said, like, it's weird. It's it's like you have to project so much. And when you think you're being over dramatic or over projecting, it's actually you're, you're projecting the right amount because the screen has to capture it. And he has talked about how that has been an interesting exercise over the years. And when we had uh, his uh, his ex-wife, Karen Nelson, we talked to her and she said that it's something he really enjoys doing, but he's a little like, it just something about getting movies together just never quite happened because he's so damn busy all the time with all the different stuff that he does. But yeah, so anyway, they met through that and then he was in Walk Hard, some great karate going on in there from yeah. Jack in here oh, as well, which is also so good. So this is an excerpt from an interview with John C. Riley, I found, he says, we're both from the Midwest. I'm from Chicago. He's from Detroit. And we both were raised Catholic in big families, like a lot of the same music. And we became friends. Riley recalls. Then I realized, wow, Jack's got this whole record label. Wouldn't it be cool to go there and record 45s? So I pitched him the idea of recording. And he's like, yeah, come down this weekend, next weekend. It was that easy. I just went down there with Becky and Tom and recorded a whole bunch of songs and picked two for each record. Jack's been really incredibly supportive. He let us play South by Southwest at the Third Man Showcase. And it's a really, really cool company. Jack's the Willy Wonka of rock and roll. It's just an amazing, creative world. He kind of looks there. like, yeah. 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 <laughs> that is such an accurate descriptor. Yeah. He does so many things. I'm like, I'm like, he produces, he acts, he writes, he does like all these different genres of songs. Also, I, I had found a quote from the phone call that happened when, when John C. Riley uh, cast Jack. He... Jack asked if it was for cable or something. And John's like, no, it's one of the biggest films this company is going to put out this year. <laughs> so that's pretty cable great. Or something. All right. Cause John C. Riley was doing a lot of yeah, Tim and Eric. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause I kept, I kept getting a couple of like Tim and Eric jokes. And I was just like, Oh man, this is really funny. Maybe that's why he thought it was for cable. <laughs> but yeah, he, he put out some single, uh, well, he put out a single at least with Jack on third man. It was from his, band of artists that he has that he kind of travels around with john and friends i think he, he put it under but the the songs they picked for the single were i'll be there if you ever want which he teamed up with lavender diamonds becky stark and it was a uh, seven inch single that was released in 2011 on third man and it was uh, backed with i'm making plans and jack white plays steel drums uh or no, no, no. sorry he plays drums <laughs> Sorry, I had steel drums in my head. That would be amazing. I've been listening to a lot of a lot of 
Paul McCartney sea moon there too much. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Olivia Jean is on bass there. Dean Fertitta is on piano and Fats Kaplan on pedal steel. All people who are kind of in the third man roster, you see them touring with Jack White and stuff. So cool to have them. Uh, Jack produced the single and uh, it was mixed by Jack and Vance Powell with assistance by Joshua V. Smith. And then the uh, the photos were taken by Joe McCaw. Paul, how did we pronounce this? How did we figure this out? I one don't out? remember. Joe McCaffey? <laughs> Mc, Mc, yeah. McCaffey? It's fine. McCaffey. We don't have yeah. to. Yeah, but fine. she took the photos. That's uh, Little Jack's wife, Little Jack Lawrence, who is uh, in, in some of Jack's other bands. Uh, he's in Dead Weather, and he's in a band called The Green Horns. And then there's the single, Gonna Lay, Ma- Lay Down My Old Guitar, which is also in 2011. And John C. Riley teamed up with John Brousseau, who Tom. You, Tom. Tom, sorry. Uh, Tom <laughs> Sorry, <I'm> like, <laughs> he's like, I'm um, get it right. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, How but, dare uh, Paul's you? Mustache is just really, <laughs> yes. it's, it's really throwing me for a loop. I haven't seen it yet. So, oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, you might know him from uh, Old Crow Medicine Show. I think he's he's a part of that. It was under the name John and Tom, and they were covering some blues classics. Uh, gonna lay down my old guitar and Lonesome Yodel Blues number two. What no? What happened to number one? I know I'll never know. Don't know. But uh, Jack produced this session again and plays drums, not steel drums, just regular drums, bass, organ, and assorted percussion on the A side. Uh, so yeah, those those singles were released in Third Man. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, they did some live collaborations as well. I know um, there was a particular uh, show in 2012 in which uh, Jack and John were both playing like they both had shows booked simultaneously in vancouver and uh john had a fun quote uh that uh he says we tried to combine the shows and and we (laughs) we tried to do them in the same venue and it just didn't work out so what i'm saying is if you can't get tickets to jack white please come see john c Riley. (laughs) it won't be the same (laughs) but it's also very good can't guarantee Jack will be at the show. Uh, in fact, there's a high percentage that he won't. But I'll tell you, you uh, I'll tell a great Jack White story at my concert. So that's pretty funny. But yeah, during the Lazaretto tour uh, for the finale of of the uh, LA show on June 12th, uh, he brought John C. Riley and Conan O'Brien both on stage to play "Goodnight Irene" with him, uh, which is their usual finale song um, for during that tour. Um, but cool to see both of them up on stage. Conan O'Brien, another kind of uh, constant uh, comedian friend of Jack's, uh, longtime comedian friend of Jack's. That's really funny. I, that's a interesting yeah. it's pairing. <laughs> it's weird. And they're both they're both very tall people, so they, they <laughs> kind of tower amongst everybody else. But you can you can see their tall connections stick like together. far, yeah. far back. Like uh, I know Conan O'Brien stars in, in a very early music video um, with them and with the white stripes. So neat stuff. I had no idea. I had, yeah, I had no idea he was such a musician. I thought it was just like for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he's talented. <laughs> he was an early proponent of the White Stripes and had them on his show a bunch. And they were, I guess they became friends, but they also felt like, hey, he really gave us a national platform mm-hmm. early Conan, on. Conan, that is. Yeah. Conan. Yeah. Uh, but with in regards to John and music, uh, he, he actually is... Uh, I found another quote from him uh, when he's saying, like, people came to the Third Man show and were shouting, shake and bake, which is a quote from uh, Talladega Nights. <laughs> and he's, he said as soon as he started playing, they didn't know what to say because they weren't expecting uh, the music he was he was kind of putting out there, which is just traditional blues music. Kind of like people who go to see Steve Martin's blues band. And yeah, yeah like, where are the jokes? Yeah. Yeah. Where's exactly. the arrow? <laughs> what is this? Where'd the arrow go on your head? Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, that's, don't, a, that's funny. I don't see yeah. the long nose you had in Roxanne. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, the footage for the uh, finale show with, with Goodnight Irene is, is funny. Conan's looking incredibly uncomfortable uh, playing Jack's guitar. But uh, he does a little solo there, which is kind of fun. And then on the Boarding House Reach tour, which was the, the following follow-up solo album Jack put out, on in 2018, Jack brought John C. Riley again out on stage in Latvia, of all places. John came out for the first encore and played a Shantae's cover, uh, the song Pipeline, um, and uh, Jack had a solo on the tune. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, so that's awesome. I like seeing that. So this was made in 2007, and I like seeing that like John C. Riley and Jack White have continued to like collaborate and make music together for. All the time yeah, since yeah. this movie. And actually, you know, Graham, you were saying you didn't know that John C. Riley was such a musically inclined human. So he wrote some of the songs for this movie. He wrote, you know, Walk Hard, of course. Also with, nominated with, for a Golden Globe. Wow. Really? <laughs> and a couple, and a Grammy, too. <laughs> what? Really? It was nominated for a Grammy. <laughs> no way. That's, yeah. Go, John. Yeah. <laughs> he wrote Walk Hard with Marshall Crenshaw, Judd Apatow, and Jake Kasdan, of course. And a lot of these songs were also produced by Michael Andrew, who wrote the one Mama, You Got to Love Your Negro Man, which was one of my favorite songs because it's really catchy. <laughs> it's a very funny scene. It's uh, it's very good. Uh, he was also the composer for Donnie Darko and for Bridesmaids. Ooh. Very, very similar films. Right? I'm just like, okay. Both deal with time travel. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of the songs were uh, also written by Mike Viola, who worked on That Thing You Do. Yes, I also love that movie. That's great. I bought that soundtrack. Mm. Oh, yeah. 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 So what what were your guys' favorite songs? Because I know you were like, a lot of the songs slapped, and I have some thoughts, but I want to hear what... What songs you guys liked? I loved Let's Duet. I thought that was really yeah. that was my that favorite. Was too. I was like, why is it this performed more? This is funny. I want to. Yeah, that was that was probably the best one. I think that was, like for me that was like, oh, what were some of the lines? I was James. I was texting you the lines. I think last night. What was it like? Uh, uh, just so many double entendres. Yeah. I love it. Hold on. I do love I want to. I am gonna beat off all my demons. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, that's good. And Jenna Fisher really does sell it in that, you know, June Carter cash style role. And I didn't yes. realize she could sing unless that's not her actual voice. It's, it's someone else. It actually. is. Oh, okay. Yeah. I but she, she lip syncs very well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Big cross. Um, I did some quick Googling and I got some factual information correct. So Tom Brousseau is not an old Crow Medicine show. Willie Watson, who was on the record, was an old Crow Medicine show. I know your fans of your show are going to be <laughs> yeah, very angry gonna, at that. Yeah. But, We're getting um, emails right now. Yeah. I just wanted to put that Friends out getting there. getting so many Instagram DMs. <laughs> just wanted to put out there. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it, this, this got me thinking because this movie does connect to a lot of like, not only like your typical rock and roll trope of like, you know, he starts out early and then he meets all these other people and then he goes through a dark period and then he goes through drugs. So, you know, it hits on those like <laughs> tenements of rock and roll that it seems like everyone has to go through. Doesn't he scream out, God damn it, this is a dark fucking period? Yes, yes <laughs> <he does. laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. There was like his wife had left him. He had gotten double married. Uh, all of his kids weren't talking. You know, it was just a whole mess. Who hasn't gotten double married, though? Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't wait to do that myself. <laughs> it was hysterical, though. But another thing I did like is all of the musician references or actual musicians who showed up in this movie. Because, you know, they reference the Big Bopper, Buddy Holly. Elvis, of course. So when Dewey Cox goes into his recording session, he starts off with That's Amore, yeah. and then you get some <laughs> amazing jokes. Yeah. So good. <laughs> From the actor whose name I can't remember right now. The guy at the console. Yeah, the guy at the console so who played, was in Arrested Development. He was in Arrested Development. He also played the new principal at Bayside High in the Peacock Saved by the Bell revival, which is excellent. And he's from... John Michael Higgins. Yes. He's, yes. He's also so a Christopher good. Guest person. Christopher yeah. Guest person, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just there were so many people him. in this film. Yeah. I love that he gave him 15 more seconds to sing. <laughs> <laughs> so that was actually a joke, I guess, off of Elvis. So when Elvis first went in to do his first recording, he started singing like Dean Martin because that's what, I guess he wanted to sing like at the time but yeah so that it, it was a lot of like spoofs and jokes off of existing yeah. rock and roll legend because you know you get that scene with the beatles in india with the maharaji and and their the bad acid trip and all the little middle finger cartoons yeah which... the yellow submarine thing is so good <laughs> yeah that Beatles scene yeah. that's clearly from a from a fan because it, it's written with love and and uh God, Jason Schwartzman plays Ringo, and Jason Schwartzman oh, is a musician too. Yeah, he's, he's he was in Phantom Planet. Phantem which Planet, I fucking all of in college. <laughs> oh my god, I used I mean, to be I part was, of their fan club. Uh, I mean, oh. I was a child of Rushmore. Like when, that was on oh, Comedy Central. So good. Like yep. multiple times a week, and I just come home from school and just watch. But um, he is in a band too, which names escape, which the name escapes me. But his music is actually really fucking good, and he mm-hmm. has done duets and collaborations with Zoe Deschanel who has the wonderful group she and him too. So that there's a lot of actor musician crossover going on here. Well, I mean with Jack Black too, you yes. know, he's, he's, he's D. got tenacious D. Right. So I, I like that this, this movie does seem like a labor of love between art and music and comedy because I was trying, I, as I was like typing out some stuff, I was like, Oh, it's got a lot of SNL people. Oh, it's got a lot of Judd Apatow people. Oh, it's got a lot. It's, it's like got all of these different, like universes of comedy all kind of like squishing into one thing. Yeah. Plus Wait. actual musicians like Eddie Vedder show shows yeah. up at the end. Jewel. Jewel. <laughs> Lyle Lovett. And who was the third person where they're all singing? Oh, it was, Oh, Jackson, Jackson Brown. Brown. Yeah. Yes. Jackson who is Brown. great in concert. He's great in concert. I, yeah. And he also looked great in this. Like I didn't realize he, I, he he's an older man, but I was like, oh, yeah, Jackson Brown, he looks good. Yeah. Good for you, Jackson. <laughs> Keep hanging in there. Paul just judging Jackson Brown. Yeah, I was expecting him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, I said aloud to no one in particular. Hey, Jackson looks great. <laughs> all right. He looks great. Well, they say you're not the one, even if you've been told time and time again that you're always gonna lose and never gonna win. Gotta keep that vision in your mind's eye When you're standing on top of a mountain high That was super fun. James, thank you so much for doing the research. That was interesting. I feel like I learned a lot. I have a better handle on the Stooges 
It actually makes me want to spin some of these uh, some of these things I already own. Um, Great. Again, fantastic. Listen yeah. to that some more. Going through it, it, it gave me a deeper appreciation for them as well. Like I said, it's it's a, been a thing that I feel like the Stooges are one of those things that music fans tell you to like. You're not a music fan unless you know that know this. Yeah. So it was enlightening, and it made me feel uh, like I have a little bit more knowledge to bring to the table if somebody were to suddenly quiz me on this. Well, yeah, that's why I was so relieved when because when somebody gives you a mix or a greatest hits or something and it's of a an artist that is of such a claim it almost feels a little like homework and i almost feel like well i don't want to do it just to spite you right that was how i am i still am with the pixies right <laughs> so actually and i mentioned this earlier but when josh my buddy josh gave me that cd it was like a burned CD or something. I was so relieved that I enjoyed it because it didn't feel like studying. You know, the I Want to Be Your Dog, I was like, oh, this is really rad. Like, it does sound, there's a lot of White Stripes sound. You can hear where Jack was influenced, if anything, just in general aesthetic. But yeah, so that, this is great, James. This is great. It's super fun. And uh, I'd like to thank some other people, James, our Patreon patrons. Great. For joining us every week with their donations to the show which as we say every episode does help us to continue to do these for you all we really rely on the generosity of our listeners to maintain the release and quality of the episodes uh, all wagon jokes aside um, and pizza rat references all those let's let's take those put them in a drawer for a moment and focus on the wonderful job james did with the research this week so just think who knows what you'll be funding next time I might talk about Pizza Rat again. Then again, we might also have a nice list of info and trivia and such for you. So we'd like to thank our Patreon patrons, Ashley Forbes, Steady Ashley Goes, Shane Ben Jamson, or the Shane Boy you've always known, Melinda Endress, you look pretty in your fancy Endress, Elizabeth Myers, Rolling in on a Burning Myers, Brett Garski, The Breath Three, Killed My Garski, Yvette Wilkins, Wilkins on Sunshine, Brenda Engelhart, We Want to Be the Boys, Warm Your Engelhart, Kate McCoy, The Bones of the Operation, Stu Cat or Stu Driver, Julia and Tobias, The $3 Hat Migs, Melinda Tay, Lord, send me an angel down. Joe shaking all over. Luke Sinclair, look me over closely. Tam Davis, our third person in spirit every week, who I'm sure will be happy we talked about the Stooges. And Michael Brookfield, the Bone Brookfield, Derek Forever. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for doing that and donating and stuff. That's all been great. Yes. If you'd like to find us on the internet, you could do so a number of ways. You can find us on uh, Facebook. That's facebook.com slash thirdmen. You could tweet at us at thirdmencast. You can tumble on down with us. That's thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. Find us on our website, thirdmenpodcast.com. You can email us anything I missed here with the Stooges in regards to Iggy Pop or the Stooges and Jack White's connection here. I, I would love to. Or anything we got wrong, let us know. We'll do it in a. We'll do a segment about what we got wrong and uh, correct ourselves. Because we do that from time to time. Yeah, we're not above correcting Mm-mm. the data that we're throwing out there. We'll phone you. Yeah, <laughs> we'll call you. <laughs> Don't call us. Um, but uh, and you can find us on Instagram where Paul posts some cool pictures related to the episodes at hand. That's Instagram at the third men underscore podcast you can buy some merch if you don't want to become a monthly patreon member you can do a one-time thing and just get some get a tote bag with uh get a I guess tote. I'm gonna, yeah get a tote bag with our face on it get a tote get tote tote it up tote it up hey james what are the kinds of things you'd put in your tote bag if you had one i'd put in candles 
I'd put in some poop from the Goose Lake. I'd put in some horse tranquilizer. The, every time I see the title, <laughs> The Stooges Live at Goose Lake, I think about the shit that must have just been everywhere. <laughs> geese are filthy. They're well, filthy creatures. The and noble they, Canada geese doesn't deserve this kind of slander, Paul. And, well, I've just been thinking, that's a lot of people to put near a, a population of geese. <laughs> George Harrison, noted coke man... <laughs> Even talked about this in his song, Brainwashed. Yeah. Brain- I have a fun memory of... Oh, that's right, yeah. I was tripping off and thinking about the geese assembling their own concert <laughs> whilst the humans were having their concert <laughs> on the Goose Lake. Here's the thing. If we were still doing bits, this is what you would have gotten. <laughs> and it goes <laughs> a little something like this. This one isn't really fully formed, but and somewhere in the bit would have been a goose... Honk. Pulling out its own feathers. <laughs> Smeared in peanut butter. As I said, it's not formed, but the geese had a counter festival. The, well, while... see, Paul, that's funny because geese are known for their formations. <laughs> it would have been line dancing. It would have been in a little like... What is the thing? River wings? dance. It's wings. It would have been a little like river dance, but it would have been like goose lake dance. It's not a river. It's a goose lake. <laughs> I'm really thinking. I'm like concerned about this because like these are hippies. We're talking 1970. Oh, yeah. They were probably not wearing shoes. Paul, this place had a sign that said no shirt, no shoes service. Am I right? And comma. <laughs> comma geese <laughs> so anyway donate to our patreon <laughs> or buy some merch that's bit.ly slash third men merch i don't think i gave the site there but buy some goose lake there i guess i'm gonna make I'm gonna make some goose lake merch you can find our show on acast they are good it. i love them the show yeah and thank you acast yeah which by the way we're doing gangbusters here you guys are coming out in a big way to support this latest season of the show. The numbers have been really great. Just seeing everybody who's been enjoying it, where I think this is the, the some of our biggest numbers yet. Um, so we're just really excited about that. And ACAST allows us to see those things. So if you're thinking about starting a podcast, what, you what's the biggest think. number you can think of? We're on YouTube, youtube.com slash C slash the third men podcast. And please rate, review, and subscribe by going to rateus.thirdmenpodcast.com. And James, until next episode. We'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help with our theme song, We're the Third Man, as well as Susanna Roundtree for the lovely intros and outros of our program. All right. <laughs> Microflex. <laughs> uh, until next episode, I will be hastily cleaning that field so those poor people don't have to step in poop. I will be creating another tear in Jack White's shirt on that mojo photo shoot to to find a home in. All right. Well, we'll see you next time, everybody. Okay, bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time.
Oh boy. And I It's will the be... first thing I think of when I hear Goose live at Goose Lake. It just it seems like a disaster. Let's go back to our song. Hey everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough. But if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right. It's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody. I'll see you on the show. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Hmm. Um, and Jeff Gold. Uh, Where do I know that name from? I know that name. Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Gold. My <laughs> mate. You know what? Maybe. Um. <laughs> and uh, he was not afraid to fight people if they were going to get in his way. And I um, mean literally. Um, again, that's probably not for the show. Yeah. Uh, And none of that's for the show. Um, <laughs> my editing job is going to be great. Uh, but yeah, uh, so it, they, the, the. From a big man. It's very big. Tall, tall statement. We can't emphasize this man. enough. We should do a whole episode about how, about he's how big he is. Super tall. He is. <laughs> the big episode, and we just talk about Tom Hanks most of the time. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it's something we do. Not a, it does sound like something we do. It wouldn't be good, but it does. No. Yeah, it'd be terrible. <laughs> um, uh, 
Jack, like, hold. Sorry, excuse me. I burped when I said that. Yeah. They're chaotic neutral. Um. So then, uh, yeah, we, we. 